Welcome to the Sunsplash Mix Show. I'm Selecta Princess. I am Ja Prince, and we usually have a musical guest that's an artist that plays an instrument. We love dancers. Today we yeah. have the president of a record label, Sir Adam Gross. Uh, welcome to Sunsplash Mix. Thank you. If you want me to dance, you know, I, I can give it my best, but I don't think anyone wants to see that. <laughs> And you do play instruments, so that's a good look. You have a, a um, you, well, I've heard in quite a few interviews, you say you have an ear. So tell me what instruments you play. Uh, I play guitar and I play uh, keyboard and a uh, little bass. Okay. Cool. Okay. Just a little bit of bass. You know, the bass is actually what, you know, I'm just going to say the ladies love it. Wives love bass. I just want to put that out there. Huh. Maybe that's why I don't have a wife. I don't play enough bass. <laughs> You hear that, mom? <laughs> oh, yeah. You hear that? We love to talk about reggae music on this platform. And there is different reggae in different cities, territories, countries. Can you define maybe the reggae? What reggae do you know the most? You know Jamaican reggae. You know United States. You know global reggae. That's a good question. I mean... Uh, all of it really. I mean, I, I grew up in New York and so I was first exposed to uh, Jamaican reggae for sure. I played in like a band in high school and everyone else in the band, all their parents were all from Jamaica or other West Indian countries. So I got introduced to a lot of stuff through them. Like that's how I first heard about Barris Hammond. That's how I first heard about culture. Like it was all through them and even like what a rhythm is and, and then like all these different things. And, you know, we used to play shows at like, we, we would get hired to be like the backing band at like these, these churches, like in Flatbush, Brooklyn. And so you'd we'd go in on like a Saturday night and we'd be like the backing band. They'd have all these different singers come through and they'd start singing songs. I didn't know any of them. Like it was like these like church, like I don't know the songs. And so they would start singing like, and, and we don't know what a set list was or whatever. And then everyone would just start playing along with it. And I'd be like, okay, cool. Like, let's just figure this out. So my, my really first introduction to the music was through, through that, which was in like, you know, that was in like ninth grade, like when I was like, probably like uh, 15. Um, and in the years leading up to that, I listened to, you know, I started getting really into reggae probably at like 12, 13, and kind of simultaneously all different, all different parts of the spectrum. I mean, I, 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 I even like on, on the other side, like I remember when my, my dad actually showed me like Blind to You by Collie Buds. I don't know how oh. he found it, but like oh. I remember that point in like when I was a kid too. Um, so yeah, I, I would say I, I'm pretty well versed, uh, across the board. And I think a big part of what we're trying to do is like bring all the different spaces together and have each other cross collaborate to grow everyone's audiences. Uh, I think mm -hmm. there's a lot of conversation these days about, you know, the market share of reggae and dance hall decreasing and having been much higher back in the early two thousands and, and that time frame And I don't necessarily think that's the case. I just think that what's more the case is that it's a lot more fractured. I think that there's scenes that have built up all around, all around the world, which is just a natural progression of, of time going on. And there are serious disadvantages to uh, Jamaican artists to be able to grow in those individual markets versus those local artists. So if you go to mm -hmm. France, the biggest the artist who sells the most tickets in France who makes reggae is going to be a French artist. If you go to Hawaii, the artist who sells the most tickets to reggae artists is probably Hawaiian. There's just yeah. a lot less barriers to entry in your local market. So I view that 
the, the key to uh, success and growth for any artist is to figure out how to tap into all those different markets around the world. And that when they're all brought in, brought together, there's actually this pretty huge uh, market in space. And that's where I want to go to next. How do we do it? How do we become sustainable? How do we add merch? All these different things that we can do to grow our audience. Yeah, I think I think the key really is 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 artists that and and artist teams who are down to play the long game. I think that we live in a in a world of uh, you know wanting that that quick fix or wanting you know that quick moment and know that you're going to blow up overnight. You know, I think looking at how many views you get on YouTube in the first 12, 24 hours, um, even if then the, over the next three years it only gives another five views. You know, it's, it's, it's about this, there's so much about this immediate gratification um, and, and, and having a hit. The reality is that 0.00001% of artists who become professional artists are ever going to have a quote unquote, you know, breakout hit. And you don't need to have that breakout hit to have a successful career. You just need to have a strategy to build and to create consistent, cohesive content of quality forever. And I think if people do that strategy um, and they do it, in my opinion, independently and they grow a catalog that they're actually making money off of, then they can actually make all the other best touring, best career decisions because they actually have some passive income coming in. So the key to growing audience is to yeah put out consistently music that sounds like it should be for the same audience so that you can grow audience and people can recommend it to other people and it naturally grows. Everyone's gonna be influenced by different things, but there still needs to be a sound that you have. Um, and then, you know, continuing to do that, make sure you're improving your production at every level, make sure you're improving your songwriting at every level, and then figuring out who the artists are that you can tap in with in different markets to try to grow together and to try to grow into these different markets. And once that's happening, and if artists are making some money monthly from their music, then you might go do a tour in a country where you're going to lose money uh, because mm -hmm. it's in your long-term interest of building those markets. And yeah. you know that's another barrier that's very challenging for people is they're like, well, I can get paid X amount of money to do a show right here. Mm -hmm. So why would I go do this tour where I'm going to lose all this money, open for a band mm -hmm. that I've never heard of before, and you know, when I can go make money. And it's just like, well, the reality is as an artist, you're a small business owner and any small business or business to become successful, oftentimes it takes many years of reinvesting every dollar you make back into it and not thinking about your music as your source of income or profit for a long time. You know, mm -hmm. you have to have a hustle that makes you money and then anything you make from your music needs to go back into its growth for, for a significant amount of time. And, and it's mm -hmm. difficult. Like I, it's easier said than done. It's easy to say to artists, mm -hmm. like, why aren't you posting this thing? Why aren't you posting on social yeah. media? Why have you disappeared for the last two months? Why aren't you creating music? It's easy for me to say, it's easy for all of us to say, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I've gone on the road before. And let me tell you, put me on the road for 10 days. And it looks like I've been on the road for three years. Like, <laughs> you know, like, so, so like I, it's hard, um, yeah. but there is a strategy and there's a way to make it work. Um, if you're of the talent level, not everyone is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We like it. We like it here on the sun splash mix. We're going to ask the question that 
Adam Gross, we hear you very eloquently and passionately talking about this. Some people are gonna say, nah, it's just because you know he's a president, you know, and he's just giving his opinion because he wants people to sign to his label. And others like, <laughs> nah, I've never seen a president of a label talk as much as Adam Gross about this. So it must be something that he really, really believes in. Where is the balance? Are you sharing this information because I'm trying to get a couple more people signed? Or nah, I'd be giving this information even if I wasn't president. I'll tell you this, if I was if I wasn't doing what I did, I wouldn't know this information. Um, I have spent like too many hours over the past number of years studying this stuff and trying different things out um, that there's no other way I would do that if I weren't in my position. Um, mm -hmm. My thing is, I think that if we can help artists, whether we work with them or not, grow their audiences, learn the tools and principles of audience growth of A&R, of you know, what deals to look out for, what deals to not look out for, if that happens and everyone can grow in this long-term process, it's a bigger ecosystem and everyone benefits from that. Yeah. So whether they end up working with us or not, if the overall ecosystem is healthier and bigger, that benefits everyone who's a part of the ecosystem, which is us as well. Um, I feel very emotionally connected to any music that we're working on. And the number one thing that keeps me up at night is like, uh, does this person feel like they're getting screwed over? Am I, have we not done enough for this project Have you know, have we become what I, what I always feared? Um, oh. I never wanted to be a label guy growing up, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, so it's like, I get very emotionally connected to the music we're working on. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, I'm also aware that like, I'm an outsider. I'm not from, Jamaica. I'm not from this culture. I'm profiting off of a culture that I am not part of, that I don't, didn't grow up in, that I have a different set of, um, you know, where I'm from and all these other things. So I do feel like there is a duty that we have as well um, mm -hmm. to make sure that we are giving back. And I think we've only scratched the surface of what we can do with that. I think there's always more that can be done. And I think that all criticism mm -hmm. is fair. Um, mm -hmm. So you're going to see some more stuff that we definitely roll out in the coming years. I mean, I, I think that the number one thing that I want to do, and I've had conversations about, I guess I've never said this like really publicly, but um, is I want to start a music business program in Jamaica. Oh, wonderful. I want to figure mm. out how to do that. And because there are great music schools, you know, there are oh, yeah. great, and you know, like, like, like people are, churning out great musicians mm -hmm. yeah. there were like a hundred people and I, I don't know the number that it would be but imagine if there was a hundred people a year getting churned mm -hmm. out who just like just understood every level of the music business and, and how yeah. it's evolving that's oh, why it's hard to teach music business classes because like uh, it's just like different than it, every year it's different so yeah. i think that the key to that the, the the jamaica and you know music there and that ecosystem benefiting you know both artists and the country and the economy as a whole is to have more people on the business side who really get it and are local mm -hmm. yeah are we are we thinking uh maybe to work with existing programs because i know of a few or 
if it's a certificate program or anything further you could tell us about it yeah i literally just started having conversations about this this okay. week um okay. but you know i think that it's been something that's been on my mind for a number of years and just every as time goes by you know you know my thing is like i'm kind of an idealist in certain respects and i think that you know in some respects as you get older you become less idealistic like when you're in college you're like the most yeah. Or like when you're younger yeah. or when you're 18, 19, like whatever, you're most idealistic. Like you think that, you know, whatever your worldview is can be established. And, you know, all, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's a sense of idealism. That, and, and I think it's good to always have that. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not as idealistic as I was then, but I still have this anything is possible mindset that mm -hmm. um, I think there's a lot of things that can be done that are just a matter of getting the right heads together um, and, and trying things out. Because I think that it's, there's so much potential and there's so much obvious influence. I mean, there's no, same thing with the market share conversation. There's everyone talked about the market share of music from Jamaica, but there's no country in the world that has more per capita market share than, than Jamaica. So it, mm -hmm. it, it, it has the most market share for its population, if you think about it. Yeah. Uh, in addition to if you're counting, you know, reggaeton and, and Bad Bunny and everything that came from the uh, Dembow beat, and you're counting Justin really? Bieber and all the dance hall that, that is mm. infused into the pop, and, you know, it goes on mm -hmm. forever. So yeah. there's got to be a way to, to, yeah. to bring that back and, and, and really have it economically benefit the people. Thank you for it. sharing I love it. that. We definitely have a, a lot of people who are listening to Sunsplash Mix Show. This is not a conversation. This is a true-versation yeah. with Adam Gross right here. Um, like let's talk about, like you said, changing over the years. It isn't the 80s, disco, mm. 70s. It isn't the 90s. We love flinging it back to I love the 90s as far as reggae and dancehall coming out of Jamaica. But like you said, the industry of selling music, streaming music, we should really only be going back to the 2000s, as far as you say, maybe education. Let's not go back to what we used to do in the 70s. Yeah, we can't go that far back when we want to move the culture forward. Musically. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think there's always something to learn about different time periods. Um, you know, what worked well at this time, what didn't work well. Um, and I think there's always going to be a split between young people and older people about what sound should be the sound and how this is going to translate. And, um, and usually the answer is somewhat in the middle. And I think the answer is somewhat like nuanced. And I think, um, I think we also live in a day where nuance is really difficult to, uh, push forward and actually, you know, have a conversation about, and people are very focused on you either think this way or this way. Um, but how do we figure out how to come together on different answers and different things? And obviously that one of those conversations has to do with, you know, people who say that, um, you know, the Choppa tunes and that sound and the Trap Hall sound, um, you know, is never going to be on, you know, mainstream and whatever. And, um, and then there's people who say, you know, well, this is the music that we want to make. And this is the music that's, you know, inspiring us. And this is our life that we're going through. This is what we're seeing on the streets. And so we're going to make that music. Yeah. Don't tell us what we should or shouldn't do. Like, it's yeah. like, you know, you're, you're, great uncle telling you to get off the lawn, you know, it's like, it's like, so, you know, I, I, it's, it's interesting because you got to a point where like 
you know, the, the top, some of the top most shazammed songs in New York City all summer were uh, Drift mm-hmm. and Taliban's. Mm-hmm. Correct. And yeah. it's, it's, I think that what we see from dance hall and those type, that type of music is that there, you have a shot of creating something that goes really big. Like you have a shot at that happening right. and going into top 40 radio um, in New York City and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. the odds, the number of songs that do that versus the number of songs that are put out into the world, it's, it's very minuscule. So I think that mm. if you're shooting for that, if you're trying to win the lottery, yeah. okay, there's that. And then there's a handful that that will happen with. But I think mm-hmm. if you're more so in a practical mindset of like, all right, like, I don't know if that's going to exactly happen for me, even though I really do believe in myself and I want to take my shots at that thing, then the strategy mm-hmm. of what I'm talking about of that consistent growth and, and uh, mindset um, that I think maybe works with other subgenres a bit better um, yeah. makes more sense. Yeah, I, I love to hear it right here. And also let's talk about teams. Yes, we see you are very visible, but I am sure there is an inevitable team. There's a team of maybe hundreds of people who um, either disagree with some of your opinions and outside or no, we understand and we're all pushing, you know, all hands on deck. Is it the team at Inevitable Records that have made you guys so successful every year? Or it's like, no, it's really the artists. You know, they put out good product. All we do is let them do what they want to do. I mean, it's, it's both. I mean, I think, I think that, you know, I think that we have a great team and I'm really grateful for everyone we have. Um, it's been like, again, like it's the, the, our business just for context, like we have a management company and we have a live business. So there's like 10 venues in California that we own or operate. And then we have some ownership and some festivals and then we have the management and then we have the label. The label mm-hmm. part of our company has only existed for like, mm-hmm. this is like, the, it's been, it's been around for like five years, four yeah. years. So uh, when we launched the label part of the business, it was to create the label that we would want our management clients to sign to as managers. From that perspective, what mm-hmm. would we want a label to do? So yeah. every year that's gone by and we've been able to add to, to, to my mm-hmm. team on the label side, it's like, it's a learning process about, you know, how do you delegate things and how do you, what systems and procedures do you put into place to, to add into the mix, to provide better services for the artists, you know, all these different things. And, uh, the team is just like, is absolutely incredible. I mean, we have, you know, just on the, on the, just on the label team itself, like my guy, Jay, who actually just, uh, had a baby last week. So shout out to congrats. He, he, you know, who's kind of been elevated to like running the operations for the label, like make sure that like every single thing actually happens. You know, I'm more Mm. creative thinking and entrepreneurial thinking and, and having all these conversations and then like, he's actually making it happen. And then from that, we have Maggie on his team who, who assists him in doing all that stuff. And then, you know, we added Diego who was at Pandora for almost the last decade because Diego was fighting, fighting, fighting for Caribbean yeah. music to be supported at mm-hmm. Pandora more than oh, yeah. anybody I had ever seen. Like the dude didn't take We've seen in, like, his whole life because he wanted to make yeah. sure artists reached their audiences. So I was like, oh, yeah. this is exactly what we want because you're going to be able to do the same oh. fight, but internally. So the yeah. team is, the team is amazing. And then the artists, 
obviously it all starts with the music. And I think it also starts with a level of buy-in and trust. And I think that, you know, the artists that we work with, there is, the relationship is like very, very crucial. Like I have a relationship with every artist that we work with and we're putting out almost 500 songs a year. Mm. A lot of people. And it's, you know, if someone's not going to buy into the two-year plan, it's not going to work out because I can't guarantee what you're going to see in four weeks or in six weeks or in eight weeks. Right. So as time goes on, we get a little bit, we have a little bit more, I think, trust built up with people who mm-hmm. see the success and see that we're not full of shit. And then from yeah. there, like easier <laughs> to, to push forth, I think, the ideas they want to. Because ultimately, we don't want to control, you know, the artists have creative freedom and yeah. it's their music. They have ownership yeah. of all the masters. They keep all the publishing, mm-hmm. everything like that. Mm-hmm. And it all starts with them, but it mm-hmm. also, you know, having that buy-in is, is super crucial too. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing's for sure, it's a new day. And as much negativity and positivity that goes along with the digital age, I'm embracing it. We're here on the internet. We're using, you know, different platforms to um, advertise music. Is there, what do we need to do to understand that maybe instant gratification isn't good or we can embrace some new things, embrace some old things. We have to read, we have to have lawyers. What can we do to convince artists or their teams to move forward? Well, it's funny. I actually just put, uh, download this app on my phone last week. Um, and basically what it does is anytime I click on certain social media apps, it yeah. pops up on the screen and it's like, take a deep breath. Are you sure you want to do this? And then you press yeah. and count down, counts down from five to zero. Wow. So <laughs> the instant gratification culture, like it's, it's, the goal of all these platforms is to keep your attention on them for as long as possible. And every single right. time that one platform adds something to make it a little bit more addictive, the other platform mm-hmm. has to do the same thing so that there's just this yeah. race to the bottom of how addictive can we make the platform, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, as soon as like YouTube adds the autoplay feature at the end of the video, Netflix, you don't even think of them as the same thing, but Netflix has <laughs> to add it. As soon as TikTok has the scroll thing, Instagram has to change to reels and YouTube has to add YouTube shorts. and so yeah, everyone's competing for attention, especially if it's a free product. We are the product, yeah. right? Yeah. They want us, our eyeballs on there as long as possible because they can sell us to their advertisers. So yeah. the answer on the instant gratification things, it's, it's, it's really difficult in this world of ours where we're essentially oftentimes we're kind of out of control of our actions. And I think that's what I'm trying to do with this app mm-hmm. is I'm like, you realize sometimes you open your phone and you just immediately click, 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 click. And you, you're not even, it's mindless. You're not even choosing okay. to do it. You just know where each thing is. So this is like, I'm trying to figure out like, as we all are, as, as we don't have the full effects yet or studies of oh, what stuff is actually doing to right. our brains and right. what it's doing to children's brains who are growing up oh, at a young age. And so fingers. I, I think oh. it's just like trying to be mindful and create certain things in your life to be aware of the integration. And I know you're referring also to just like the, wanting to drop music obviously and have it crack off. But I think it's actually a similar mindset. I think the more that we can like 
figure out and delve ourselves into like long form things. And to be honest, I don't like, it's hard for me to sit down and read a book. Like it is, but it can be done. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm very like thinking about all the different things that we're doing and we're working on and it's like all over the place. So I get it, (laughs) but I think that, you know, it's just a matter of, of, um, discipline and just Mm. essentially like, you don't have to, it's not about working any harder. It's about working smarter. And I think that's, I think oftentimes people might not even take that route because they don't even know how to take that route. So mm-hmm. and that's part of, as I say, about helping grow the ecosystem, ideally. Okay. Yeah. I got you. I got you. Living by the example. We only have them for a couple more minutes. Because, again, this is not a conversation about the reggae music. This mm-hmm. is a true-versation. Sharing information. And um, Adam Gross, again, there is things that are going on with merchandise. Now, every uh-huh. artist probably heard, yeah, man, we got to get some merch. You know, I got to change the twang, you know, something. Yeah, my mama wants some merch. We want to sell some shirts. They don't know nothing about selling shirts, Adam. And they really don't understand how to transfer the money from the merch back into themselves as a brand. If there was something you wanted to share, yeah, how can you help an independent artist on their first album? They now should be thinking merchandise. Yeah, so the key is what we like to call the fan karma meter. <laughs> basically the idea that, you know, you want to be providing value to fans at all times for free. You want your music Mm -hmm. to people to feel like your music is affecting them at such a personal level that it's improving their lives, Mm -hmm. that's making their lives easier, that it's helping them and that they're they're getting cool stuff from you all the time. Every time they open social media, they're getting something for free. Every time they open their email Mm -hmm. list from you, they get something for free. Or do you have a WhatsApp, one of these WhatsApp broadcast channels uh, text marketing, like yeah. it all starts with those principles of, of marketing. So like, for instance, you shouldn't only be focused on social media, like the email, having emails and phone numbers. And then, and then out there, I think the WhatsApp channel thing, like is actually more important than social media, because as we know, the algorithm can change at any time. They can delete, you don't know which platform is going to delete. So if you've only been growing on Instagram and then they delete Instagram because it gets banned in your country, then what happened, where, where are you going to go? The emails and the phone numbers are the things that you can actually have in control. And then obviously the on the ground stuff, you know, the, the, the actual like flyering and things like that. And I think through growing on social and via those channels and using them to provide free value, like 19 out of 20 things that you're pushing towards them should just be like content that's adding value to their life. Then when you have something you want to sell, a t-shirt, a ticket, anything else, they feel like they want to provide value back to you because you provided so much value to them. If you're constantly posting a flyer and trying to sell tickets to this and then you're selling your merch item and then new song out now, go to Spotify or YouTube, or if you just are constantly selling, 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 you're not building up any rapport with your fan base for them to want to actually provide um, something back to you in return. So it's just about growing a community. It's about growing a group of people that um, that feel uh, interconnected with your music, and it's about responding and 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 having direct relationship with as many of them as possible. Like you're never too cool to respond to a comment, like mm-hmm. you, you know, like or even like 
a DM or anything. You, you need to respond to, especially if you're growing, like you need to respond to as many things as possible. Or if you have a show, you need to be at the merch booth after the show on the same thing merch. You, you got to be at the merch booth selling your stuff. Yeah, yeah. you want to buy this CD? Okay, I'll sign it for you. Okay, cool. Like you got to be out there hustling and, um, you know, providing value for people in order for them to, to spend that money, especially because we live in a time when people are trying to, are, are used to music being free. So they really have to feel that value. Love it, love it. Is there any goals? Yeah. Any goals for 2024? What's the next step? That's a good question. Um, I think it's just continuing to, to grow the different spaces and scenes that we're working in, figure out how, how they can all learn from each other and, and work together. Um, you know, one thing I was really excited about that we did this year was, um, and this is more soca music and, and, and music oh. Trinidad, but you know, with Kess, you know, one thing we did was, uh, Kess had this song called Licky Ticky, one of my favorite songs. Mm -hmm. And I always felt that Hawaii would like soca if they knew what it was. Mm -hmm. And I always felt that Trinidad and soca space would like a lot of the music coming from Hawaii if they knew what it was. Yeah. So we took that Licky Ticky song. I sent it to one of my favorite producers, J-Vibe. J-Vibe flipped it into a reggae version. And then we got the two biggest artists, two of the biggest yeah. artists in Hawaii, Maoli and J-Bug on that mm -hmm. song and dropped that version of the song, which is actually now yeah. streaming better than the original yeah. one. Yeah. And it's all of a sudden all over terrestrial radio in Hawaii because terrestrial radio, like Trinidad, is very important. And, and when you turn wow. on the radio in Hawaii, all you hear is Hawaiian reggae artists. So that's, right. that's those are the type of things yeah. that can be done to grow all the spaces where everyone benefits. Yeah. I think even with, uh, you know, the Cali Roots Rhythm Project uh, that uh, got the Grammy nomination this year, like mm -hmm. we, the, the purpose of those projects is to bring in artists from all around the world into one thing, yeah. same thing, to promote each other's music. Mm -hmm. I think that the more projects we can do like that, that are exposing different people to different places, like that's, that's, you know, that's what's necessary. Cause, cause honestly the, the goal of that project was not like Grammy thing is, it feels great. It's very exciting, of course, but mm -hmm. like yeah. we, we never really played the, the like game and the politics of it. And mm -hmm. it was super unexpected. Um, yeah. Literally, totally unexpected, but it's mm -hmm. like, it shows the power of unity and it shows the power mm -hmm. of, you know, what can happen if you have these different artists whose audiences don't know anything about each other, all in the same yeah. place pushing mm -hmm. together. So mm -hmm. these kinds of things, Kudos. Yeah. Uh, bringing these things forward, figuring out what else we can do to, um, I think grow the overall ecosystem. Um, definitely going to, hear a lot more stuff uh, that we're doing coming from, from Jamaica. Um, okay. Although we're already doing a lot, but a lot more in the next year. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll see. There's always conversations happening. So yeah. like the answer could be totally different in, in six months. That sounds so good. And congratulations on that. Um, you have certainly brought some fresh air into the reggae music industry. 
And when I say reggae, that also includes dancehall. But anyway, uh, in our space, and I'm I'm thankful and congratulations. And I know because of your various conversations, there's always room to learn. There's always room for improvement. So how can people get in contact with you? Uh, well, I don't know about submitting music or if they want to purchase or know what your roster of um, artists are or the website to your company, how can we get in contact with you? I'll say this. Um, my email address huh? is adam at ineffablemusic.com. Now, will I respond to every single email I get? No. Will I listen to a song from anyone that emails me a song? Absolutely. So always, always here. You can follow me on, on Instagram. I try to share as much um, information as I can over there. Uh, our website is ineffablemusic.com or ineffablerecords.com. Uh, we're on socials at, at Ineffable Records and at Ineffable Music for the overall company. Um, and uh, yeah. There it is. Only I hope I don't regret giving my email out, but I, 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 uh, <laughs> I have, I found some really cool stuff. I have found some really cool stuff from people like just sending emails that I've never heard. I'm of sure. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. There's a way to filter it out. You can figure it out. He's going to have to have a team for that. We're going to have to build an AI or something filtered through frequencies. And, and this is actually not Adam. This is, this actually is the AI version of me. 